Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. We're really excited to get going into a new book that we're going to start studying. We're going to be studying the book of Mark. Now, you may notice that uh, there's no video attached to these podcasts anymore. So if you're in, if you have been engaged, engaging this podcast uh, via the Tree Church app, you may be accustomed to seeing a video there for you to follow along with. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is uh, we have not had a whole lot of people watching the actual videos themselves, and so we've just decided that most people are engaging this material as they're driving to work or they're coming home from work or they're uh, washing their dishes or uh, whatever it is they, they find themselves doing throughout the day. They're throwing it on via Spotify or Apple uh, Podcast, and, and they're engaging the material that way. So we are just going to be doing an audio version of the Tree Church Bible Study from now on. I hope that you enjoy it. If you would, jump on to uh, Spotify or jump on to Apple Podcast and um, follow this podcast or subscribe, and you'll be able to find every episode. I personally am still processing through the book of Revelation. You can go back and revisit all of the, the Bible studies we did on Romans. Or on Romans. And uh, this week we're going to start getting into the book of Mark. And so I'm really excited. So this is going to be an awesome Bible study. And Mark is one of my favorite Gospels, and we're going to talk about that just a little bit here as we get going. And I'm going to introduce the book, and then we're going to go through verses 1 through 20 of chapter 1 today. Um, We're going to be covering a chapter of Mark a week, so we're going to be looking at 16 different weeks in Mark, and then we are going to be moving on to Colossians around Christmas time. So I I hope that you uh, enjoy this podcast. I hope it's challenging you. And uh, here's what I would say. If you were of the mind that you liked watching the video because you could follow along in the Scripture and see the Scripture, I would encourage you just to grab your Bible and uh, follow along that way. If you can't and, and you're not in the moment where you can follow along, I would encourage you to go back and read it later. And of, of course, first and foremost, since we're going through the book of Mark and since we're going to be looking at a brand new book of the Bible, my, my number one encouragement to you is to take the time and to read the entire book before we get going. So we're in the starting phases of it. It would be really beneficial for you to take the time and read through the entire book uh, in in one setting or one in one and a half, two settings, and just be able to um, to get a grand overarching picture of of the book of Mark and the different sections and the different uh, portions of Scripture and the way Mark lays things out throughout his book. Now today I'm going to do a short introductory uh, section on Mark and then we'll jump into verse 1 through 20. So uh, let's get going here and let's just start talking about an overview of the book of Mark. Now the book of Mark is really a, a history and a biography kind of all rolled into one. It's not really truly history and it's not really truly biography. And, and here's why. The book of Mark is really going to be a theological premise about some historical facts of Jesus. And so what that's going to be is Mark has taken what he has seen in the life of Jesus and, and honestly what he's gotten from the, the, te- the testimony or the witness of uh, particularly the disciples. Legend has it that uh, Mark was the secretary of Peter and that this gospel came from, uh, from Peter himself. And so uh, Mark would have collected the sayings that Peter would have told him and then Mark would have taken and he would have assembled this book to tell the story, in a particular story, about who Jesus was and what he did. And uh, he is trying to write to an audience to help them understand uh, who Jesus was. So 
One thing to always keep in mind when we're reading the Gospels, the Gospels are not always in chronological order. You may notice that in between the different Gospels, there's some discrepancy as to when things happened and some things are rearranged. That's okay. That's because the Gospel writers are not trying to tell a chronological history, much like what we like today. They write history in a very different way. Again, they're, they are, they're writing for a theological purpose. They're writing to tell something very specific about who Jesus was and what he accomplished. And so we always have to keep that in mind. Mark may be telling things that are not necessarily in historical order, but they, they are things that, that Peter had told him or the, the churches that he's involved with have told him these stories, that they were eyewitnesses to these stories. And, and, and Mark has taken and collected them and put them together to tell a story about Jesus. So, now, here's another thing. The authorship, when it comes to the book of, uh, when it comes to the Gospels, the authorship is a tricky thing, particularly because uh, the books are technically anonymous. Now, we have a lot of tradition and we have a lot of history that kind of gives us some clues who could possibly have written these books, uh, who they're attributed to, but... Uh, technically, the book never tells us who wrote who wrote it. So um, we are left to guess and we're left to use different outside sources to kind of give us a picture of who that was. So Eusebius was a historian in the second or third century, and, and his philosophy or his tradition, the, the thing that he taught was that Mark was the secretary of, to Peter and that uh, he took the sayings and the, the, the stories that Peter had and he wrote them down. Now, this could very well possibly be the case. It, it could also not be the case. Um, Eusebius was a church historian. Some people contend that he he embellished some things, and he had reasons for writing some of the things he had. Uh, some say that he did a great job with it. And so, but, but what we have is this first century doc, or this second and third century document of Eusebius saying that Mark uh, was a secretary to Peter. We also have the the person in John Mark. Who story we see in the books of, book of Acts from 12 to 15, these could be one and the same people. It, it very well could be, and tradition has it that these are one and the same people, that John Mark was actually related to Peter and was, uh, was actually around the, the followers of Jesus at the time that Jesus um, at the time that Jesus was still alive. And so he very possibly could have been the author of our book that we have today in Mark. Now, I say possibly, and here's where I don't want us to get tripped up on. The authorship of these books are not uh, highly important, and, and and when I want to say that, when I say that, it's I want you to know, I want you to understand it this way: if the if the authorship of these books were important, they would have written their names in them, much like what Paul does, but they didn't because they're telling a bigger picture. They're 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 trying to paint a picture of a grander story. They don't want uh, the reader to, to think about necessarily who they are or what they've done. They are trying to convey a story about Jesus. And so the, the focus entirely throughout all of the Gospels is that they would uh, see Jesus. And so the, all of the Gospels actually are technically anonymous. Though, like I said, we can have some level of certainty and some, some level of, of, of uncertainty in uh, the the traditions that have been passed down through the church, so uh, if you if you are aching and you're 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 like I I need to know who wrote this book, and you feel like that that it's it's trustworthy to uh, believe that Mark the secretary of Peter wrote this book, then awesome you can go ahead and do that. If not, um, 
Okay, it's okay to, to have a question about that, and, and that's okay. That does not mean that you distrust the book any less. Remember, the text gives no clues as to who wrote the book. So, um, and, and so that's just something that we need to keep in mind. The text itself is the inspired Word of God. The, the authorship is tradition. So, um, and so we hold on to uh, what the text says, and, it, and we can have some, some conjecture and some discussion about the things that surround it. So, all right, that's my spiel about the author. That took way longer than I wanted to, so I'm going to speed this up a little bit so that we can get to the main overarching themes of Mark and then get into the passages today. Last thing before we get going into that, though, is you can, uh, we, we kind of think that the, the book of Mark was written, probably one of the first gospels to be written, and it was written somewhere in the late 60s. It would have been after Peter was assumed to be martyred, but it would have been before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So we're looking at sometime the mid to late 60s. Again, scholars make their best guess at this. There's nothing to really give, hey, my name is Mark and I wrote this in 62 AD. Uh, so just just always stuff to keep in mind. Now, uh, let's get on to the focus of Mark and what he wants to say in his gospel. Now, this is and and this is why Mark is one of my favorite gospels. And it it's the way that he shapes his gospel to to highlight the things that that he wants to highlight. First and foremost, Mark wants to focus on Jesus's identity, his meaning, and particularly his meaning in light of Israel. Mark wants everyone to know that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, and um, and so. All of the, that Mark says is going to be shaped around shaping this identity and setting up this identity and showing that Jesus is connected. He is the, the fulfillment of and the, the continuation of all of the uh, Hebrew scriptures. And so Jesus is tied to the Hebrew scriptures. He is the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is actually going to bite into a lot of what Isaiah ends his prophecy with uh, towards the ending chapters, with the promise of God's kingdom, and that being that coming and that being fulfilled, so Jesus is going to be the one who brings about and, and inaugurates the kingdom of God. And when we think about the kingdom of God, I'm explain this in a little bit. When we think about the kingdom of God, we need to think the reign and rule of God. When all wrongs are made right, when when things function the way that they're supposed to, when when God is on His throne and people bite into and and submit and 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 walk in uh, obedience to him. Why? Because it's when God is on his throne, and when we are uh, that we are subject to him, that we find the best and fullest life. So uh, th- this is the overarching theme of Mark's story. Now, Mark very much sees himself speaking on behalf of God, and, and, and it's the way he words things at times that you see that that not only does he see Jesus as God, but he sees himself as 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 talking about and and portraying the story of God in this moment. So he's he's telling the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who will bring about the kingdom. Now I already said it a little bit in the beginning. Mark paints a very specific theological picture of the history and the details of Jesus's life. I already mentioned it. I'm not going to talk about it too much more. Just know that as you read Mark, he is trying to tell a certain story. And so we're always kind of looking at, the, we're, we're trying to look for the, the, the theological proof or the theological story, the theological point that, that Mark is trying to make 
with what he's telling us. So he's telling us a story for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. Another thing to notice with Mark as we're reading the gospel is that the cross is the focal point for Mark. One third of the book is going to go towards the story of uh, that leads up to Jesus' crucifixion. And, and, and this is both this is both the focus of Jesus's ministry, but it's also the um, the the difficulty in the calling of the disciples. And we're going to talk about the importance of the disciples in this in a moment. But the cross stands as the focal point for Mark. And, and in that, and in that, what we're going to see is that uh, he is trying to present a tension of how Jesus is both this powerful teacher. Because Mark will spend a lot of time explaining the ministry of Jesus and how he healed uh, the illnesses, he set de- demoniacs free, how, how he was this great and wonderful teacher, and yet how he was the rejected Messiah who went to the cross and died on the cross. And so Paul, or excuse me, Mark, just bad habit, I guess, but Mark presents this tension. He wants his readers to have this tension inside that Jesus is both this authoritative powerful figure and yet he is the rejected messiah that the, that he was led to the cross and that he would be the reigning and ruling king as the crucified messiah now this is something uh that uh th- this actually it's a matter of fact it's it's his power and his authority that is actually going to lead him to the cross so, and Mark wants you to be aware of that too, because he is going to highlight the conflict that Jesus has with the authorities. One of the most uh, dramatic parts of the book of Mark is when Jesus curses the temple and he curses the leaders. And this is the thing that actually gets him crucified. He comes in and he prophesies over the temple that it was going to be tore down. And this is what leads to his trial and eventually to his execution. So just all of these little points, these these major themes of Mark are just good for us to keep in the back of our mind while we're reading it. Another thing that we need to keep in mind as we're reading Mark, Mark is a summarizer. He is going to do everything super quick and super fast. He's going to tell the stories as quickly and concisely as he can. So you're going to see the word immediately a lot, and we'll notice it even today. We're going to get into that a little bit as we go through the passages, but Mark is moving quickly through his gospel. It's one of the most concise gospels that we have. So just something to keep in mind that Mark is trying to summarize and he's trying to tell you what what is going on and who Jesus is. He's not trying to show you what's going on and who Jesus is. Lastly, Mark is going to focus on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, Mark is great and wonderful because he really puts a human perspective on what it looks like to to become a follower of Jesus. Mark does not hide the confusion of the disciples. All throughout the book, the disciples are trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's doing and what he's trying to accomplish and their part that they're going to play. And and, and the disciples are often shown as lacking understanding. They're often shown as, um, excuse me, standing in opposition to Jesus. And, and, And he does so for a specific reason. He wants those that are looking to follow Jesus, he wants them to be encouraged. Because what we see is that despite their bumbling and despite their confusion and despite their their struggle and their trials, Jesus uses them. And Jesus calls them. And Jesus allows them to be the leaders of his 
movement as he as he dies and is resurrected and 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 ascends to heaven it's these these guys that don't understand these people that don't understand who would be the ones who would establish the church and allow and be the ones who would uh, help it to grow into the movement that that we know today and so mark wants to encourage all of those who would read this this gospel those that would call themselves followers or who would want to be followers and as they watch the disciples fumble and fall and fail, and, 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 and as he speaks to those who, who possibly may even, in, in Mark's time, drew back from being persecuted, for those of us today that, that can't seem to get it right, and we feel like we can't really follow Jesus because we can't really ever get this perfectly. Well, Mark says, following Jesus is difficult. Be encouraged, though. God never gives up. Jesus never gave up on his disciples. God doesn't give up on us now. And so we can continue to walk in in obedience to Jesus and we can follow after Jesus. And so this is Mark's focus. All of these things are Mark's focus as we go through this book. These are great things just to keep in the back of your mind as we're reading through and going through this book. Now, let's go through fairly quickly through this uh through this uh, section of Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is one of the most important statements in the entire book. Mark wants to make very clear, Jesus is the Christ, which Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. So he is the Jewish Messiah, the long-awaited one, the the fulfillment of all that the, the Jews had hoped for. And that he is divine. He is the son of God. Which means he walks in the authority and the power of God. The word that they use, or that Mark uses, and honestly all of the gospel writers use, the, the word gospel, that means good news. And the, and the Greek word is aeongelion. And it's, it's this idea of, of a proclamation of something great happening. If you remember the introduction to the book of Romans... The Eongelion was something that, that Julius Caesar, uh, excuse me, Caesar Augustus would have used for his life. It, the, what, the news that was spread around the Roman Empire when it, when it was uh, Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus' birthday was the Eongelion. It was the good news that Caesar had saved Rome, that he was the savior of the, the known world. And here we see Mark saying, no. This is the beginning of the good news, not of Caesar Augustus, but of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. On to verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, something to note here. Uh, Mark says this is written in the, the prophet Isaiah, but really this is a combination of the two, uh, of actually two different prophets. Verse 2, uh, the quotation part is actually Malachi 3 verse 1, and then the second part is Isaiah 40 verse 3. So what Mark has done here is he has tied the beginning of Jesus' gospel, again, back to the Old Testament, and he's using Isaiah and Malachi here, the prophetic witness of, of, of the Jews and the prophetic witness of the Hebrew people, he is using these 
to show that Jesus is the fulfillment and he is the he is the one who would come and be the continuation of of these Old Testament scriptures or these Hebrew scriptures. Why he uses Malachi 3:1 and Isaiah 43 um, and why he calls him the prophet Isaiah uh, honestly I don't know. <laughs> I would love to tell you why Mark decided to 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 uh, use two different prophets and then just say it was one, but I don't know. But the best thing that we have is that Mark is a he's a summarizer, so he likes to 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 be concise, and so he would have seen these prophecies, would have interpreted them in light of Jesus, and he used them in this way. And so he summarized these passages: "Behold, I sent a messenger before your face." Who prepare the prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, this is someone else speaking to Jesus or speaking to the Messiah, and Mark is not going to start with Jesus. Mark is going to start with John the Baptist, and and many of the gospel writers actually begin with John the Baptist, and so he uses these Isaiah these Isaiah this Isaiah passage in this Malachi passage, to explain the role that John is going to play in this narrative and how he is going to prepare the hearts and the minds of the people. On to verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptizing by him, or were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, just a really cool feature here is Mark is tying John to the prophetic, uh, to the to to the prophetic image. So he he uses prophets, Old Testament prophets, to describe John's role, and then he describes John in a way that would have been likened to uh, to the prophets, and so particularly the prophet of Elijah. Uh, who was uh, who John was said to have walked in the spirit of, and so John was supposed to be like the prophet Elijah. John's role is to call people to repentance, and 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 to to stir people's heart to desire to seek God and to desire to have to be forgiven of their sins and to be to be made right with God again. This is John's goal, and and John acts as like a signpost. He is the one who is the opening act. I don't know if you've ever been to concerts. I went to a lot of concerts when I was younger. And there would always be these bands that would come on and they would play first. They were not always the they were not always the best bands. They were not always the worst bands. But their job was to get the energy going in the room. Their job was to perform their music and do so in such a way that it prepared everybody for the main act, for the for the one that was to come out on the stage so that everyone was excited, everybody was into the night, everybody was enjoying the show. Now, John does the same thing. He is turning people's hearts back to God. He is getting them ready to hear the message and to, to meet the, the Messiah so that their hearts would be in the right place at the right time so that they would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear who Jesus is, what he what he was set to do, and and how he was going to bring life and hope and joy to the people. On to verse seven, and he preached, saying, "After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John sees and John says right away, he says, I am not the Messiah. And there was a lot of confusion at the time because a lot of people were looking for the Messiah. And here's this guy out in the wilderness calling people back to faithfulness in God and calling people to repentance. And so people started asking the question, is this the one? And John says, it's not me. I'm the signpost. There's one who's coming after me, and he has more authority, and he has more power, and he has more worth, another word for glory, than I do. John knows who he is. He humbles himself. He recognizes who he is and the role he plays, and he fulfills that role well by saying, I am not the one to come. There's one coming after me, and he is going to point to Jesus. And he says, the one coming will be the one who brings the promised Holy Spirit. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and it's re-quoted in, in, chapter, in, in Acts, Joel is saying that, that one day the, the, the Spirit of God would fill the people of God and that He would dwell with His people. And so we see at the inauguration of Jesus' coming, the proclamation of Jesus' coming, we see that the, the Holy Spirit is promised to come with the one who would come after John. And John is essentially just saying, the one to come, he is the one who is legit. He is the one who will really transform the hearts and minds that, uh, of, of God's people. On to verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So John says, or Mark says, so the one that John was pointing to is Jesus. Jesus is the one. He came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he is the one who is called and anointed as the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And this is, and, and, and what we see here with the baptism of Jesus is really the calling and confirmation of, of Jesus to his ministry. This will begin the portion of, of the, the book of Mark, which Mark gets to really quickly. You see a lot more development in some of the other uh, gospels of, of, of John's witness and of, of all this thing kind of happening before, before he gets to his baptism. But at his baptism, it's declared, he is my son, and, he, and with him I am well pleased. And in this calling and confirmation, he is going to give to Jesus all that he needs. He says to Jesus, he says, you are my son. And, and so he tells him who he is. And he says, with you, I'm well pleased. He tells him that he's loved. Think about that. How often in our lives is that what we need to know in our life? To know, to have the confidence to do the things that God is going to call us to do. To know that we're loved by God and that we belong to God. And so when God, when Jesus goes out to do his ministry, the first thing that happens to him is that he's reminded of who he is and, and, and God's love for him. And so th this is a message for, for Jesus, but it's also a message for us. Mark gives it to us so that we will know that Jesus is the Son and Jesus has the authority of God. And so that we would understand as co-heirs with Jesus and as, as sons of, and daughters of God as ourselves, the same thing is said over us, that we are beloved and that with, with us, he is well pleased. On to verse 12. 
the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, I always find it unique that God tells Jesus, I love you, you're my son. And then the very next thing that God does is drive him out into the wilderness. Now, there's a couple different things here that, that are of note that we should pay attention to. The number of days that Jesus is in the wilderness and the idea that he goes to the wilderness to be tested. This is a constant theme throughout the Bible. You see it in Exodus and you see it in the story of the Exodus where the people of God are taken out into the wilderness to be tested. Now, they wander the wilderness for 40 years because they re rejected God. But, but what we see is the number 40 is usually a, a number of testing. And the idea of wilderness is another place of, of testing and of trial. And so it's really odd to me, but this is the way that God chose to do it, that, that, that the Spirit, the very first thing He does is that He would take His Son out. And, and before He did any miracle, before He did any wonderful act, He would take Him out and He, and he would test Him to see if he would hold true to uh, to the calling that God had put on his life, the calling that God had given to him. Now, I, I, we can get into the conversation of what it means to, to be fully God and fully man, and did Jesus know fully uh, the, what he was about to do? What we, what we see and the evidence that we get from, from much of the, the New Testament is that Jesus did have some idea of who he was. But we also get this idea, again, and remember, Mark is always contrasting this idea of Jesus as man, Jesus as great teacher, as, as having authority, as, as having power, but also as Jesus as, um, as the crucified Messiah. And so you get this tension again here where Jesus, though he may know who he is, he's taken out to be tested to see if he'll stand true to the calling that God has put on his life. And, and you notice this particularly in Matthew's version of this where I think it's Matthew's version, where you see what type of temptations are laid before Jesus. Essentially, it's he's given what God promises, God has promised to give to him at every temptation, but by taking a shortcut. So what we have here is that Jesus is tested and he's he's he he comes through. Essentially, he lives up to the temptation or he he walks under the temptation without giving in, and so he's faithful to God in this moment. And then he begins his ministry. And we see here that the angels took care of him. Even though he was tested, he was always supplied for and taken care of. Verse 14 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John has been arrested by Herod for calling him out on marrying his brother's wife. And Jesus as John kind of fades from the scene, begins his ministry in Galilee, which is where the city of Nazareth was around. And Galilee was the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. And there were a bunch of towns that were around Galilee. And so Jesus would spend most of his time ministering to the, 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 the cities around Galilee, but then also he would travel back and forth to Jerusalem, oftentimes stopping at cities in between. In John, we see him stop at Samaria. He goes out of his way on a path, and I believe he's coming from Galilee to Samaria to go to Jerusalem. And typically, what would be happening at this time is Jesus would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals 
and the festivities that were tied with the, the Hebrew faith. And so oftentimes they would go to sacrifice animals at the temple and they would go to celebrate the like Passover. And so you'd see Jesus going back and forth between Jerusalem and Galilee um, on regular occasion in the Gospels. The proclamation that he, he, he claims is, is really part of one of the major themes of the Gospel of Mark. And it's really the major theme of all the Gospels, that with Jesus' Jesus's arrival, the kingdom is at hand. The reign and rule of God has begun. And so Jesus ushers in and begins the process of seeing the wrong made right. The, he begins the process of, of seeing the reign and rule of God come and, and take place and, and inhabit and, and really bite into the cursed earth. And so Jesus begins the reversal of all of the, the negative, the brokenness, the sin, the shame, all of the things that, that have, have taken creation away from God begins to be reversed with the coming of Jesus. And this is what he proclaims. And he says the, the response to the arrival of this kingdom is to repent and to believe. This is how we respond to the message of the kingdom and, uh, the kingdom of God, that God's presence is coming that he wants to dwell with us, that he wants to be our king, he wants to rule, and he wants to reign over us to bring us life and to bring us hope and to bring us joy and to restore all good things to his people. And he says, if you want to be part of that, repent and believe in the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus is the Christ and that he is, uh, that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the son of God. This is the good news. Repent and believe and that, that he is bringing about the kingdom. On to verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now here we see the calling of the first disciples. The first one Simon, being Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. And Jesus tells them, because they were fishermen, he says, instead of drawing fish out of the sea with nets, he says, you're going to be drawing people into me. You're going to go out and you're going to begin to 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 draw people to, to who I am, it being a witness of who I am, and, and telling them all about all you've seen and all that I've done. So this is what Simon and Andrew are being called to, to go out and to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then... What we see is they respond immediately. And, and I want you to note, I, and I've already said this once, but Mark uses the word immediately a ton. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, Mark does this because, for one, again, he is a summarizer. So he wants to make everything as concise and, 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 and punctuated as possible. So he uses the word immediately a lot to kind of transfer and to get us into the next portion. But... Mark also focuses on the drastic and the difficult call to become a follower of Jesus. And what we see modeled for us in Mark with the disciples is that they heard the message of Jesus and they responded. They didn't wait. They didn't dilly-dally around and they didn't, uh, they didn't uh, see about what they could go do first. And uh, you see it in another gospel where Jesus says, uh, foxes have holes in the um, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, talking about the cost of discipleship. He says later on that uh, a guy comes to him and says, I need to bury my father. He says, let the bury, de bury his dead. And, and Jesus isn't being callous. Uh, it's just another way of saying there is 
a call to a response. When Jesus calls you to follow him, there is a, a need for a response. And oftentimes it's difficult. And so Mark is painting that picture here with the calling of these first disciples. We're going to see it again in verse 19 where he says, And going on a little farther, he saw James, and the, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. James and John are also fishermen, and they're brothers, and, and the same kind of similar situation. Jesus comes, calls them, and uh, immediately they follow after him. This time they leave their father. Again, showing the difficulty and the, the need for response and the cost of being a disciple. Mark is going to continually put that in front, continue let me try this one more time. Mark is going to continually put that in front of us as readers, that the, the, the cost of discipleship is difficult, and the cost of di- and, and, and uh, discipleship is going to be a tricky thing, but to find hope and to find courage because Jesus calls these people, and, and, and these people, though they're bumbling and they're, though they stumble, they accomplish the mission of God as God called them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's amazing about Jesus. And it's amazing about the story here in Mark is that what we see here from right away, Jesus doesn't call call the conventional characters to his ministry. He doesn't call the religious leaders. He doesn't call uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the lawyers. He, that's not who he calls. He calls everyday common people. He calls scandalous people. He calls people that don't deserve to be a, a disciple, and, and yet even amidst their, their undeservedness, amidst their unqualification, amidst their inability to, to fully comprehend and to fully grasp onto what Jesus is doing, he still calls them, and he still uses them. And so I hope that you, uh, I hope that you take heart in that, and I hope that that encourages you, that no matter where you find yourself today, no matter who you are, if Jesus is calling you to follow him, he has a place for you, he has a purpose for you, and, and, he, and he wants to call you his beloved. And, and so uh, if you're listening today and you um, are just like, I cannot figure this following Jesus stuff out, just be encouraged today. The book of Mark is going to show how uh, all the ways that the disciples messed up, and yet Jesus still uses them. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I pray that you enjoy this study in Mark. Pastor Matthew, I believe, is up tomorrow, and he will be laying out uh, the next section of Scripture, and uh, we'll just keep continuing on. See us three days a week uh, as we lay out the book of Mark here over the next few weeks. Thank you guys for joining. Have a great day.